Welcome to the Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. Lord, this morning we ask that you'd stir our hearts, that you bring us to a place of humility, brokenness, and for heaven's sakes, dependence on you and your power and your grace. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Bless the Lord, hallelujah, all that good stuff. George Mueller um, was a pastor, philanthropist um, in the early, late 19th century. He opened some orphanages, uh, one orphanage in particular, and his entire premise was that he was going to take in these kids, take in these orphans, and he was never going to ask for money. He was going to trust that the Lord was the same God from the New Testament. And Jesus said that he knew every hair on his head and that, that God would know exactly what they needed. That He didn't need to run newspaper ads and uh, in our day have a ton of um, newsletters. That He was just going to trust, pray, and trust that God would provide. And God did it again and again and again. They said He said many days that he would be on his way to the orphanage in the morning knowing that they didn't have enough money for food and someone would come along and say, aren't you George Mueller? I've heard of your work and give them an exact amount of money that he needed to feed the kids that day. He said some mornings he would get to the orphanage and there was no money and there was no food and he would cry, God, have you forgotten us? And he said as he would walk to his office, he would open the mailbox and the check that day was just in the other mailbox. And so he had to get across town Um, the testimony was that God still hears and still answers prayer. One of my favorite stories is um, of Polycarp of Smyrna. You know that old martyr Polycarp was was commissioned to be Bishop of Smyrna by the Apostle John, is what church history says. Polycarp of Smyrna was in his late 80s. Um, when soldiers came to the house he was staying at to bring him to be martyred. Do you ever heard this quote? He said to the, he said to the officials eventually, um, for 86 years, Jesus has been faithful to me. How can I deny him now? That was his testimony before they um, burned him alive is how he would be martyred. But when they came to Polycarp's, the house he was staying at, um, he ordered his, the younger people around to serve the soldiers food. And he told them, sit down and eat and we'll feed you. And he told the soldiers, just give me one hour to pray. Just give me one hour to pray. Church history says that uh, for two hours, he was in the upper room crying out to God and that he prayed with such fervency and passion that the soldiers began to repent of ever coming for such a godly man. That they couldn't stand to hear this holy man pray without um, falling in repentance. James chapter 5. I'm going to start in 16b and read you through 17 and 18. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave gave rain and the earth. It bore its fruit. This epistle is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. His name's Jacob. Um, Through transliteration, it came out as James. Um, Jerome, the, you know, the, 
fourth, fifth century um, scholar who translated this, translated the scripture from Greek and Hebrew to Latin. Jerome records of James, James, as does Clement and Eusebius, the church historian. They all record this tradition that James um, was such a godly man that the communities, even the Jews, Eusebius records that even the Jews, every sect of Jews in the cities, they respected him. They called him James the Just. And they all record this tradition that James also had another nickname. They called him um, Old Camel Knees or Camel Kneed James. That James so believed in prayer that his knees bore the inscription. That this idea was not just a belief to him, but he so lived, this out, lived it out that his knees were incredibly callous. So much so that when James would be martyred, um, Eusebius, Jerome recorded just a, you know, Jerome was the Jewish historian first century. Jerome just recorded a, a little line about James being, um, being stoned. Eusebius records an earlier church historian who tells us that, um, that James was invited to the pinnacle of the temple to speak. And he stands on the pinnacle of the temple and he begins to declaim the worth of Jesus. And that the Jews were so frustrated at this proclamation that they threw James off the, or the pinnacle of the temple. That he, they threw him down and at impact he didn't quite die yet. And so he rolls over, he hits his knees and he prays, Lord forgive them for they know not what they do. And at the prayer they begin to stone him. Church history also records that um, the young men lined up for miles to come and touch the man's knees. Because they were so calloused and so broken from years and years and years that he spent in intercession. Now, this is the man that tells you this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, can you imagine this man leading his church in Jerusalem in the first century? And when he said that to them, they knew exactly what their pastor meant. Because literally his knees were deformed because he believed that message with such passion, with such conviction. I'll say to you this morning that um, at times in the church today, we fall for this thing of thinking that a man who preaches with adrenaline has anointing. Or we fall for this thing when we think that someone who has big personality and charisma, and we think that must be anointing. But this man's conviction that expresses itself through deformed knees, I'm telling you that that's where his anointing came from. And when they read those words, they said, by God, he believes what he says. Every good sermon is produced by personal experience. Every best, every best sermon that I've uh, preached, I've preached to myself for years and for years. Our boss, um, Alex, our boss man, um, I'm the real boss man around SESL. Um, people haven't quite come to that revelation yet. I tell Destiny in the morning, I say, present yourself and salute. And she rolls her eyes and walks away. And I haven't quite figured out how to get her to submit yet, but I'm going to get her. She's like a horse. I got a break. My kids, I ain't figured that out with my kids yet either. If y'all give me some advice, I'd appreciate that. Um, but our boss man, this last couple of weeks we were talking about, um, he was saying that for this year, he felt God stir his heart to get back to um, his first love and to, to do again the things that he did at first. 
And as we talked about that this week, um, this sermon has been stirred in my heart. I've taught this for years, um, but this for me is so much of my first. Um, it's, it's being a young 19, 20 year old man and God calling me to a real position of intercession and prayer and to hearing God clearly say, you don't lean on your personality. You don't even lean on your giftings for anointing, but you leave, you lean on intercession. You lean on that secret place and being wrapped up in, you know, the Bob Sorge's, the secrets of the secret place and being wrapped up on this idea of being alone with God and actually hearing him. And as the beginning of the year, we're talking about the first things. This is my first thing that I came to talk to you about this morning. Every good sermon produced by personal experience and overflow. I think James said this to himself for years. I think James woke up in the morning and he he said, Elijah was a man with a nature just like mine. Nothing different about that man. I think James woke up and said, he can stop the rain. I can call down the Holy Ghost. We often when we talk about James, it's fun to wonder, did he hear Jesus pray? Did he did he, you know, grow up? He's most most historian scholars believe that James was the next in line after Jesus. Did he grow up here in his half brother Bray? Did he watch him get up and walk out in the early mornings? Did he encounter John? Did he know the Baptist? Did he hear John pray? What what so gripped this man that he said that what his church would to be was to be marked with was prayer. That's what he was certain about, that the church was to be a place of prayer. I often reference um, Leonard Ravenhill said that he went to the man they call Praying Payson. Have you ever heard of Praying Payson? That he went to this man's house and um, at the house of Praying Payson, he, you, he went into his bedroom and the floorboards where the man used to sit in his knee, where he used to get down on his knees to pray at night, the floorboards just sagged because he just wore those things out. And I'd hear Leonard Ravenhill say that, and I used to just say to God, give me a prayer life like that, Lord. That's the kind of life I want to be marked with, where I know you so well and so deeply that the floor of my house bears it, that it just bends under the weight of the anointing. Then my kids and my grandkids come one day and they say, this is where he used to pray. And this is where we used to come by and hear that sound and that groan. So really quickly, I'm not going to hold you too long. James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah's makeup was no different than yours, no different than mine. He was not a super believer. He had an anointing and a gifting, yes, but God is no respecter of man. And if you remember, Elijah had his ups and downs too. He's calling down fire one minute and he's running in depression and fear the next. And Elijah struggled with sin and temptation just like you and I do. Elijah has moments of great victory, moments of great depression and great defeat. James is saying to his congregation, you avoid the idea that there are super spiritual people among you whose prayers mean more than yours. You're a common person. You're poor. His, to his congregation, Jerusalem, was, to history tells us, was a relatively poor congregation. They were also an older congregation compared to in reference to a church like Rome, they were an older and they were a poorer congregation than some of the new churches popping up in cities like Ephesus. And he says to his old poor congregation, you let no one diminish who you are. I don't care about anyone's super spiritual postures or their big charisma or personality. Elijah was just like you. 
And his prayer life changed weather patterns. John Calvin, um, he said um, on commenting on this text, um, he said, we profit, this is, you know, old English, you'll forgive me. He says, we profit less by the examples of saints. He's talking about the idea of Catholic saints. We imagine them to have been half gods or heroes who had peculiar intercourse with God so that because they were heard, we receive no confidence. What he was saying is that the church has a tendency to view certain people as having more of an ear with God. But you're called the bride of Christ for a reason. Because he chose you, he bought you with blood that was more precious than any silver or gold. There is no more, there's, there's no commodity in all of history and all of earth that has ever been close to being half of as valuable as that blood that was shed for you. And he bought you with it. And he chose you. And when Mordecai went to Esther and he told Esther, you need to go in to Ahasuerus and you need to, you need to plead um, for the people. Or Esther said, I, I know that the law that I can't just barge into that throne room because, because um, anyone who comes to the king's throne room without an invitation, they're struck dead. But what Esther forgot was that man chose her. Of all the virgins that came, he chose her and he extended a scepter of grace. That, that is a picture of the blood of Jesus that was extended to you. Yes, the Holy of Holies is a fearful place that God's invited us into. But you better be confident and be assured that he has chosen you. And there's a scepter of grace extended for you this morning, which is the blood of Jesus administered by the Holy Ghost. And God loves you and he is torn that veil from top to bottom just so that you know that you are welcome to petition him you're the bride of Christ and ain't nobody yakking in my ear like that little woman right there Jesus is my mediator his shed blood makes me righteous my works are not what allow me into that throne room. My faith in the work of Christ make my way. Listen to this. James did not believe that Elijah's gifting is what made him powerful. James believed that Elijah's prayer life is what made him powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed and prayed fervently. Ravenhill again says, no man is greater than his prayer life. He used to say that um, if our prayer meetings were as empty as our, if our choir practices were as empty as our prayer meetings, we'd be in big trouble is what he'd always say. The church calls a uh, choir practice and everyone shows up. You know, this is in Raven's Hill's day. Church calls a prayer meeting and no one comes. I'm telling you that the first century church believed that their legacy and their heritage was in intercessory prayer. They, but this is the greatest gift that we have is that we can actually speak to the creator who is who is who are we that god should be mindful of us the psalmist said but he is and he hears are we neglecting the characteristic of the church throughout history that causes it to be endued with power you remember those men and women wait for 40 days as they travail for the power of the holy ghost 
And if we find Jesus alone early in the morning in prayer, and if he's facing the cross and um, broken in Gethsemane, when we went to Israel, I mentioned the other night, we went to Israel a couple years ago, and Gethsemane was the one place that I wanted to go. It was one place that I wanted to, you know, the, the garden now, it's not the whole garden, it's surrounded by a gate. And I wanted to grab the rails of that gate and just weep and thank him for that intercession. If Jesus gets up in the morning to pray, and if Jesus facing trials runs to prayer, what makes us think that we should not do the same? Number one, James says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like yours. Number two, he prayed earnestly. This is a Hebrew idiom that comes through the language. It, it literally reads, he prayed with prayer. Uh, anytime the scriptures, any Aramaic or yeah, Eastern language, Semitic language was a word I was looking for. Um, Semitic language is when they repeat a word twice. So you get Jesus saying, verily, verily. Um, or in the Genesis account, um, God says to um, Adam and Eve that if you eat of this tree, you will you will die with death. It, it was a means of emphasis. It was a means of saying, pay attention to this. And so James says, he literally says, Elijah prayed with prayer. If you've never read the works of Ian Bounds, I would tell you, you can buy the complete works of Ian Bounds um, on Amazon for like eight bucks. I would say buy that sucker and, and read it. Just eat it and just love it. And Ian Bounds used to say this. He was emphatic about this point. That you could come into worship and you could, in those days, you know, you could hold the hymnal or look at the screen and you could sing all the words and you could know all the melodies and you could never actually worship. You could just go through the motions. But James says, Elijah prayed with prayer. He didn't just repeat the words, but he prayed with a heartfelt intention and a real cry and a real intercession. And Jesus says things like, don't, don't just heap up empty words like the Gentiles do. Don't just repeat things. You know, there's no formula here. What God loves to listen to is real heartfelt. We need you, God. James, he, he prayed with prayer. Remember Jesus giving us that persistent widow parable that she um, came to the unjust judge and cried out for justice for so long that the judge just got uh, annoyed with her and gave her what she what she wanted. And the point of that parable is this, is that if an unjust judge would break at persistence, how much more will a just judge say, yes, you can have the answer to your prayer? Jesus says, pray and don't lose heart. Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, you should pray without ceasing. Do you remember when Jesus comes into the temple um, and, he, and he grabs a whip and he is frustrated because it's in the Gentile court. They've made the, the outer court of the temple a place of commerce and Jesus runs out everyone who's selling their they're, they're goods. They're, they're actually selling sacrifices at a bumped up price. He runs them all out and he says that my father's house will be a house of prayer. And then the disciples say, we remember that the scripture said that zeal for his father's house would consume him. And the zeal for the father's house that consumed Jesus was that his house was supposed to be a place of prayer. 
And uh, so many times, this is, this is, you know, the last time I was with you, I spoke on um, evangelism and being a people that fulfill the Great Commission. And there's this subtle nuance in the churches, uh, in, at least in the West. We, we want to do this thing where we either make ourselves an evangelistic church or we make ourselves an intercession, uh, uh, introverted prayer church. But, but the two should be yoked together. And the disciples, they get up in the early morning to pray. And when they sense the Holy Ghost, they open their mouth and they preach with power and with fire. Because if you try to do evangelism without the Holy Ghost, you're just the Holy Spirit. You're just doing it in your own works and your own personality. And if all you do is pray and you never get up and do what he's asking you to do, you're actually disobedient. Elijah prayed and the rain stopped. And when he wanted the rain to come again, he prayed and the rain came. James leaves no room for any other interpretation other than prayer is impactful. Never let the enemy or any culture, any theologian to be straight, tell you that that prayer is pointless. I believe in the sovereignty of God. Uh, there's mystery there for me. I don't quite have to grasp all the ins and outs, how God saw the beginning and how he sees the end. But what I know from direct command is that he's asked me to pray and that at my prayer he will move. So don't get caught up in all the nuances of sovereignty and free will, but just thrust yourself in obedience to the command that says, pray and I'll hear you. If my people who are called according to my name will pray, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear, heal their land. If my people will pray, I'll hear and heal. We may discover that the greatest people in history never had a microphone or a platform. Every great man of God, um, every preacher, you want to you talk about Billy Graham is followed by an intercessor who cries out for him. Charles Finney, the same. The man preached up and down the East Coast, saw thousands come to know Christ, but he was supported by a group of people praying him through. You may find that when we, when we enter into heaven, that some of the greatest people that ever lived didn't have a ministry gift, but they took hold of their inheritance, which was intercessory prayer. You might you don't you don't need to have a preaching gift to be impactful. You just take hold of that inheritance that God hears you. Brother Lawrence, you know, you've ever seen that book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. That's another one. Just get it and read it. Um, he washed dishes for the entirety of his life. It was after he passed away that someone put together his writings and they're still being read today. E.M. Bounds was a relatively insignificant pastor. He published one book in his life. And when he passed on, a friend of his gathered all of his writings and sermons and started publishing books in his name. One of the best-selling, most insightful writers on this topic of prayer and his life still bearing fruit, although he never had a platform. I love the testimony of Frank Bartleman, um, who helped pray in the Zuzu Street Revival. His wife, on many occasions, thought the man would starve to death because he just quit eating. He was fasting for, for su with such intensity um, and praying for a move of God that his wife was so concerned um, because of how skinny he got. Hear me, I'm not advocating a works-based gospel. I'm not, I'm not condemning you for prayerlessness. I'm not saying you need to pray more so that God accepts you. I'm saying God accepts you, so pray more. Do you hear me? He, he loves you. 
you've got family members that are broken, pray. Now watch Elijah. You remember the story? Um, he's praying. This is where we get the idea of travail, that, that terminology, travail. It's because the scripture says that he um, sat with his head in between his knees. Um, the, the picture is a woman giving birth. That he, he, with his head in between his knees, he began to pray that God would send rain. Do you remember the story? He tells his servant, get up and go look and see if there's a cloud come. No cloud. Seven times he prays, get up and go look. No cloud. Get up and go look. No cloud. And then he says that he, he looked out and he saw a cloud just the size of his hand coming. Just the little indicator that his prayer was being fulfilled. And then he says to Ahab, get ready because here comes the rain. His faith doesn't quit. He keeps getting up and looking. He's, he's praying and then he's saying, go look to see if God's answered. Go look to see if God's answered. Go look to see if, God, if God's answered. And the first sign that, that, that this is God, he says, yep, there's God coming. This is faith, and it's doubt that causes us to stop praying. But the biblical command is that you pray, and then you don't quit. You just keep praying. You just keep crying out. You just keep petitioning. Number one, because God likes it. He, he, he enjoys our prayers. You just keep, it's a sweet aroma to his nostrils. You just keep praying, keep pressing. Remember Jesus at Gethsemane, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My last point, I'm going to wrap it up for you. I'm going to get you, I'm going to, get you to, the, to the buffet line before the Baptist. You know, that's what we used to say. So Elijah was just like you and me, right? A man like ours. That's what James said. Um, his life was, his prayer life was so impactful that um, the rain came and left when he prayed. Um, and then James says that, uh, that he, had, he had this great impact um, fervent, he was a man like us with fervent prayer, then he had this great impact. This is my point, and this is where I'm trying to bring you home. No spiritual work is ever accomplished through leaning on the flesh. Um, God's called us to a work which is a spiritual one. He's called us to see the nations bow their knee to the beauty and the majesty of this Jesus that we serve. That's your work. It's a spiritual work. And that's what Paul says. Uh, we don't wrestle with, with flesh and blood, right? But with principalities and powers of air. This work is a spiritual work. And it's not, a, it's not accomplished through us having necessarily the best music or being the trendiest or following every fad in order to try to grab people's attention. Because no one actually comes to God without the Holy Spirit grabbing hold of them and drawing them. We're dependent upon the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. And we can't, uh, we can't attempt a spiritual work by the arm of the flesh. Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah chapter 2, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Um, remember God tells the Israelites when they come into the land that in Egypt they could depend on the river, or the, the river, the river, they could depend on the Nile, and they had irrigation systems that, that would come to their crops if there was a drought. But in, the, in Israel, in this new land, they couldn't depend on it. They had to depend on the rain. And so if they sinned, God would stop the rain. And if they turned back to God, he would give them rain. 
Now, God says that in, through Jeremiah in chapter 2 that they have forsaken him, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns. They've made themselves big pots, big cisterns to try to hold rain longer than it's intended to be held. And Jeremiah says they're broken cisterns. They can't hold water. He's saying the point is that we're dependent upon the reign of the Holy Spirit. We're dependent upon God's work. We're dependent upon the Holy Spirit in our midst. And if we sense that he's not with us, we need to stop, hit our knees, and cry out that God would, would move in power. A couple more little, little nuggets here. I wrap this up. The devotional life is the greatest sign of humility based upon that principle. Because the devotional life admits freely that I need God every single day. He's my daily bread. I am not sufficient in and of myself. I'm not going to get up in the morning and try to push through with my own strength or my own will because I know that I need God. And so um, prayerlessness oftentimes is, is driven by our pride. It's a sin of pride and it's a sin of personal idolatry. Assuming that you can accomplish what God's called you to accomplish without leaning on what God's called you to accomplish it by. Prayer is the greatest gift God has given us and it's incredibly impactful. I used to, I started telling my students this when I was a youth pastor years ago. I used to tell them that, um, I get, I get young kids who are struggling with depression, and that's just a thing that, you know, we struggle with depression. And uh, I would always get kids who would say, um, my life just feels purposeless. I just feel purposeless. I just feel like I'm going through the motions. And I used to say, and I've started saying this all the time, you feel purposeless because you live prayerless. You get alone with God, and you wrestle, and you contend. And it's one of the greatest acts that you can ever do. If you want to have a life of purpose, learn to pray. Because prayer is powerful, and it's working. My last point, I'm skimming stuff for you to get you out of here. My last point. This is from personal experience. Don't, don't take this as a shot. This is advice, personal advice. There's a temptation to hear God's call to prayer. Um, for me in particular, I've, I'm convicted that God has called me to live a life of prayer. It, it is my first thing. It is the first place that God has called me to. It's the deepest thing in my heart. Um, I was praying the other night. I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. I was praying the other night. I was putting our girls to bed. And um, the little one, y'all want to know some real intercession. I'm sidetracking. I'm, I'm going to give you something. Some real intercession is, is this, this little two-year-old that we got, she's doing this thing where she keeps taking off her diaper, and then she's using the bathroom on the carpet, and then I got to tell people, like try to make up an excuse for why there's stains on the carpet. If you could pray about that, that would be a real place of intercession. I think she saw the dog do it, and she said, I like your style. I like it. And, uh, she she won't go to bed either, man. It's just getting harder and harder. And so I, Haley, uh, you know, she's pregnant and she she's feeling good one night. And I said, Haley, go to bed and and I'll I'll pray and I'll just you know hope the girls go to bed while I'm praying. And I was in the back room praying and um, just crying out to God. And I was I was confident. I was I was confident that I'm the father of the year and these kids are sleeping. I nailed it right. And I'm and I'm groaning, crying out to God. I I did it. And I get up after praying for a while, and I turn around, and that little, our two-year-old, is sitting on the edge of her bed just like this, just looking at me. I know she was thinking, my dad is weird. I got a weirdest dad. 
there's a temptation, a subtle temptation to know that you're called to prayer, right? I'm, I'm sure of it. And what, 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 what I'm tempted to do is to pray just long enough to ease my conscience. Do you hear what I'm saying? I get up in the morning. I know, I know I'm supposed to be a person of prayer. I know it. And so I pray five, ten minutes. And I haven't, I haven't really, you, you know, you know when the heavens open and God's hurt. I haven't really contended with God yet. I've just, just ran through the list. I just scratched through. And which, Ian, they're, they're a struggle. So don't hear me throwing stones. But well, the temptation is to pray just long enough that I can tell myself, you prayed today. And then get up and put my belt and stuff on and go out the door. Uh, from experience, I'm telling you, you pray until you feel God release you. You pray until you're, sh- you're sure that your kids and your grandkids and your brothers and sisters that, that need the Lord have been prayed for that day. Um, for me, I got some I got some things, burdens I'm carrying right now. Um, my biological father is uh, I didn't meet him until I was 18 or 19, um, but his body's just riddled with cancer right now. And he, I don't think he knows the Lord. And I'm I'm contending every night. I'm contending. And, and this cancer is starting to retreat. He had tumors on his brain and his kidney. I mean, he had multiple tumors and they're starting to. He's only down to two tumors now, which is still, you know, a hurdle to cross. But I'm crying out, God, I, I don't only I want you to heal his body, but I want you to reveal the goodness of Jesus to this man. I want you I want him to come and see and, and taste the goodness of Jesus. I, I want him to experience the glory of God. And I'm, I'm contending. You know what I'm saying? And so I need to be sure every day that I didn't pray just long enough that I can get up and ease my conscience. But I, that I really prayed that I really pressed in. I, want, I say this all the time. I want my girls one day when they're teenagers, you know, and the boys are chasing them and they get in a situation that they shouldn't be in. I want them to hear the sound of my prayers and I want them just to be scared, just real scared. Hallelujah. And so I'm, I'm in my last little bit, you know, the times I've preached for you, I'm, I'm pressing you in a way with intention. Um, I'm saying that in this hour, in this day, we've, we've got to obey the Great Commission, but we cannot divorce it from a life of intercession. Um, we need both and. And if we would take hold of both and say, we're going to be a praying people, and we're going to be a people who believe that God wants to reach our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers, not only that he wants to reach them, but that God is able to reach them. That throughout history, he just kicks in whenever he wants to kick in, especially if his people are praying. And we believe that, and if and, and then we just start, culturally leaning in to evangelism and prayer evangelism and prayer and thanks heavens for beautiful worship too hallelujah all right let me pray for you would you stand with me i'm going to pray and and if you want to receive this you extend your hands i'm going to pray just that god would release a spirit of travail uh a praying people again a praying posture and if you if you feel that if you just feel like i i need god to stir the embers of my heart to prayer. Um, just extend your hands. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we don't want to neglect this great gift that you've given us. Again, God, who, who is man that you should be mindful of him? Who are we that you would hear our cries? Help us to take hold of this inheritance. Lord, I pray that the harvest in this city, in this community, is not hindered by our prayerlessness, but it's fueled by our passionate, fervent prayer. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the King James said. Availeth much.
So God, um, with the disciples, we say, Jesus, teach us to pray. More than we need you to give us new trends or new strategies. Jesus, we need you to teach us to pray. We love you, God. We love you, God. For a moment, let's just cry out for um, our nation and for God to speak in our cities. Lord, heal our nation. We need salvations, God. We need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We need spiritual eyes to be opened. We need veils. Paul told us in Corinthians that there were veils from the enemy that blinded minds from seeing the truth of the gospel. Holy Ghost, we ask you by your power and by your strength and by your wisdom and insight, remove those veils. We decree it, declare it this morning, that veils are being lifted in this city, in this state, God, in this nation, that veils of the enemy are being lifted as minds are coming to receive and to acknowledge the great worth of Christ Jesus. You're worthy. Hallelujah. You're worthy, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sunday's sermon. Be sure to visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources.